Well, hello, Hope City Church. How we doing? That's good to see you guys. Can we give it up for them kids one more time? Come on. I was thinking, you know what's going to happen? I was thinking about this. You're going to get home today. You're going to lay down in the recliner or the bed. You're going to get ready to take a nap. You're going to just about to fall asleep. You know what's going to happen? Children, go where I sit. It's in there now. It's in there. That earworm is in there. Two by two. It's it's in there. So uh, thank you for being here today. Hey, if you're a, a, a guest with us or you're here today to celebrate with somebody who's being baptized, special hello to you. Well, just an amazing thing happening right now in our church. Such a beautiful, organic, organic way. People taking that step, that public, tangible step uh, of faith. And so if you're here to celebrate with somebody, what, a, what an amazing thing for you to do to be here. So thank you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd, I'd love to get a chance to do that. It is a little chaotic after service with the baptisms, but if I can get back there to the back, I'd love to say uh, hey to you. Um, but thank you for being here today. Last week, we started uh, a new series of messages called Grace Giving. Everybody say grace. grace. Say giving. giving. Grace giving. Grace giving. And so this is, this is just different than giving. This is grace giving. And we're taking the month of December to talk about how grace should change the way that we think about and use and give our money. Grace should change the way that we think about use and give our money. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should view and think about and use and give money differently because we have experienced grace. And um, this is something that we need help with. We need all the help God can give us and the Bible can give us when it comes to money, how we think about it, how we spend it, how we give it. I shared some stats with you last week, but we are the stats. I mean, we know this to be true. Credit card debt, you know, is, is, is out of control. One-third of all Americans are overdue on those credit card bills. In the state of Kentucky, 42% of all debts are in collection. Of marriages that end in divorce, 80% say financial pressure is the reason, which is higher than infidelity. A majority of Americans uh, have less than $1,000 in savings and could not survive without their next paycheck. And so the reality is, is that we need all the help that we can get. And God does not need my money, but I need God to help me with my money. You know what I'm saying? And so um, this is something that uh, we want to try to figure out. How does grace change the way that we think about use, spend, give our money? And week after week, I get up here and I say to you, I say to you that we are saved by grace through faith the life and the work of Jesus Christ, that we get credit, you could say it by now, for the life of Jesus because, because Jesus took credit for our lives. And so when God looks at me, he sees the perfect life of Jesus. This is how we are saved, what salvation is. And it's true. My access to God and my salvation are based entirely on what Jesus did, not on what I do. You got to believe that. That is the gospel. And so if that's true... What about generosity? If it's true that, that my salvation and how God feels about me is not based at all on my actions, but based entirely on the actions of Jesus, then here's a question that's worth asking. Why does it matter what I give? Why should I give? Why should I be generous? And how much should I give? Because, Jason, you, it doesn't matter. Like, whether you give a penny for the rest of your life or whether you give away everything that you've ever owned, it doesn't change the way God feels about you. It doesn't change why he saved you and how much he loves you. 
So if we are not compelled by guilt, if we're not compelled by pressure, if we really are giving because of grace, then, then why should we give and, and, and how much should we give? This is, this is what, we, what we want to know. And so last week, we started by asking a question. We're answering three questions throughout the series. And last week, we started by answering the question, how do you measure your life? That grace should change the, the measuring stick for how we measure our lives. What is a life of significance? What is a life of meaning? What is a life of value? What, what is important? What's not important? What happens after we die? What happens to our stuff after we die? What is the ERI, the eternal, or the uh, return on investment? Yeah. These are measurements for our life, and grace should change the way we measure our life. People who have experienced the grace of God should measure their life differently than people who haven't. And so this week, I want to answer the second question for this series, and here's the question we're answering this week, is how do you think about God? How do you think about God? Because grace should change the way that you think about God. So to get started this week, I want to just give you a little pop quiz and there's no, like, nothing's going to happen to you if you get it wrong. That's my favorite kind of test. Um, so here's the pop quiz. You ready? I'm going to give you this question. Don't say it out loud. I just want you to think about it. Here's the question. What was God's first command to human beings? What was the first instruction that God gave people? So think about that for a second. Go all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, he makes them, he shapes them, he forms them, he breathes life into their body. They are in the garden. What was the first instruction that he gave them? Now, some of you, depending on how much you know about the story, you might assume that the first instruction that God gave people was don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is true. God did say that to Adam and Eve, but that's not what he said first. That's not the first instruction he gave. The first instruction he gave is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. I want to read it to you. This was, this was before he told them not to eat from the tree. It says, so God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, verse 28. Then God blessed them. He blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. This is God's first command to human beings, to people, to Adam and Eve. Now, quite literally, God was telling them to have babies, but that's a different sermon. That's a February series. Come on, it's a relationship series. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. Um, but it also gives us a glimpse into God's character. That God's desire for them, the very first thing that he did, he gave them life he blessed them, and then he said, go grow, go flourish, go multiply. This gives us a glimpse of God's character. The first thing that God said to people was not no. No, don't do that. Don't you eat that. The first thing he said was not no. The first thing he said was grow, grow. Now imagine I've been blessed enough to be in the room when my wife has delivered four amazing children, and imagine that the, the doctor hands me my child, and I hold my child, and they're crying, and I look at them, and I say, no. <laughs> no. Stop crying. Now. No. Whatever you're going to ask me in five years. No. No, 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 no. 
Now, I don't know how it all works because I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but I'm almost, can, I'm almost positive that would affect psychologically the bond between me and my child. I'm almost positive. And that's not what we do. We get that baby and we're just in love and we want to bless them and we want the best for them. And your heavenly father feels the same way about you. And this is important because how you think about God and how you believe God feels about you determines the motivation for why you do the things that you do. You've heard me share this quote with you often, but famously A.W. Tozer said, what you think about God is the, is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And this is what he's getting at, how you see God and what you think God's will for your life is. And do you think that God is happy right now? Do you think that God is angry with you? I mean, when you're praying, what do you feel like God's feelings towards you are? What's his facial expression? I don't know. It don't work like that, but you know what I mean? For our simple minds, like we go to pray, what, what do you think that God's posture towards you is? What he wants for your life is? Do you think it's no don't do that, don't touch that, don't eat that, don't. Or do you think it's grow, flourish, be blessed? And in the story that Brad read for us today, we get another glimpse of what God is like and how grace should change our view of God. Jesus tells this story to describe what God's kingdom is like. And he says that God's kingdom is like a man who goes away on a trip. Now, this is a parable. It's a metaphor. It's a a figurative story, and so the characters represent people. So the man in the story who, who uh, gives the, the bags of silver, that is Jesus. He's, he's going away on a long trip, and he will return. This is Jesus. Right now, he has gone. He's seated by God the Father, and he will return. And so that's Jesus. And while he's away, he entrusts his wealth to some of his servants. That's you and me. We're the servants. And so to the first servant, he gives five bags of silver. And to the second servant, he gives two bags of silver. And to the third servant, he gives one bag of silver. And the first and the second guy, five and two, they come back. And they get to report that they have doubled their, their, their master's money. But the third servant, he comes back and he says that he hid his money in the ground. And I know we read it, but I want to read it one more time. It's just, just this verse in 24, because we know exactly why he hid the money in the ground. We don't have to guess. We know what his motivation was. He comes to the, the master, and he says, I hid your money in the ground, verse 24. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Who, who said this guy was a harsh man? I don't know about you, but based on the verses that we've read, we don't know everything about this story, and this is all Jesus gives us. But my impression of the master is that he was not a harsh man at all. I mean, the little bit we know, we know he's a generous man. He's entrusting his wealth. We know he's empowering. He's not micromanaging. We know that he entrusts them. We know that he is, uh, celebrates with them. We know that he wants them to grow and to flourish. I don't see anything in this story up to this point that would lead me to believe that this man is a harsh man. But for some reason, this third servant has a view of this master. He sees him in a certain way, and he says, I knew you were a harsh man, verse 25, I was afraid. 
I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. And look at this last phrase. He says, look, here's your money back. Look, here's your money back. And this story is about so much more than giving. It's actually one of the more famous parables that's taught because you can talk about it in so many different ways, teach so many lessons from it. But for just a few minutes today, I want to use this story to help us examine how we view God, how grace might change our view of God, and how our view of God affects our view of God's money. If I wanted to summarize this story in its most simple explanation, this is, this is just the, this is the simplest Jason explanation I could give you. I would say it like this. If I believe that God is good, then I want to joyfully bring back to him more than he's given me. If he's a good man, if he's a generous man, if he's empowering, if he's trusting, then that compels my heart. He's good. I want to I wanna do good. I want to bring back more than he's given me. But if I believe God is a harsh man, then I want to fearfully and reluctantly give him back his money so he isn't mad at me. This would be the most simple explanation I could give you. And with those simple descriptions, I wonder which best describes your feelings about God and generosity. What, 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 how would you describe? Would you describe your generosity as joyfully earning and growing and bringing back to God more? Or would you describe your generosity to God as this? Look, here's your money back. Here's your money back. Why are we taking three weeks to talk about this, Jason? Like, I gave him the money back. What's your mentality? Is it joyful or is it reluctant? And did you notice what the master said to the first two after they gave? He said to them, they came back, they said, hey, you gave me five, I turned it into ten. You gave me two, I turned it into four. The master said to the first two after they gave, he said, let's celebrate together. And I don't know about you, but I want to feel like giving in my life is a celebration. I want my generosity to feel like a party between me and God. Come on. I want to feel like that me and God together are celebrating. Because he trusted me. He gave me his wealth. And I took what he gave me, and to the best of my ability, I did something with it. This is not just a story about giving. This is a story about earning. This is a story about wisdom. This is a story about building. This is a story about investing. And I don't know what your religious or church experiences have been like in your life and, you know, how you were raised or what your grandma or your aunt told you about giving or your pastor preached about when it came to giving but I, I know most of the Christians that I talk to, this, their, ex, their, their experience is not generosity that feels like a celebration. It's generosity that feels like a responsibility and a burden and fearful. Here's your money back. It's out of pressure. It's out of guilt. It's not a joyful celebration. But I want to read just a few more verses to you. This is also in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, who is... Um, writing to 
these Christians, these new Christians and this new church that's been established, he's talking about giving. Christians and churches have been talking about generosity and the role it plays in a Christian's life for thousands of years. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, remember this, because we forget, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Anybody disagree with that? No, we all agree. But the one who plants generously will also get a generous crop. Anybody disagree? No, we all agree. Okay, you must each decide in your heart... You get to decide. You get to decide how generous you want to be. You get to decide how much you want to give. And, most important part, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This is, this is great news because the Apostle Paul is saying, you get to decide what you want to give. You get to decide how generous you want to be. I don't get to tell you how generous you should be. You get to decide. But whatever you decide, be happy about it. Celebrate it. Throw a party. You get to decide. But whatever you decide, don't do it reluctantly and definitely don't do it under pressure because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He loves a person who, you know, dances on the way to the giving box. He loves a person whose heart says, let's celebrate together because you, you entrusted me and I'm bringing you back more than you entrusted me with. And I'm not mad about it and I'm not pouting about it and I don't feel pressure like I have to. I want to. I've shared this story with you before, but it was so impactful in my life. I was 16 years old. I, was, I had just in the last year, really committed my life to Jesus Christ and was trying to follow Jesus. I had a youth pastor in my life. Shout out to all the youth pastors and youth leaders in the room. You're making a difference more than you think. And I had a youth pastor in my life who, uh, we had about 15 kids that met up in this uh, room upstairs in the church. And it was, I mean, it was just like white walls, carpet, that's it, you know. And it was nothing glamorous. I was like 15 kids. And my youth pastor, he was kind of a mentor in my life. And even though there was just a small group of us, he wanted to take offering every Wednesday night because he felt it was important that we as teenagers learn about giving. And so there was only a few of us, and it was, you know, uh, he would just grab a bucket, and he would just walk around the circle, and he would just stand in front of you while you put your money in there, intimidating a little bit, right? And so I remember this one night, he came, he had the bucket, and he comes around, and he gets to me. And I was like, oh, dang it, I, I forgot, you know? And so I reach into my pocket, and I ain't got any dollar bills, but I got some change. And so I I go and I, I, he can hear the change. There's just a little bit of change in my pocket. He can hear the change. And I pull it out. I don't know what it was, 70 cents, 80 cents, I don't know. And I pull it out and he sticks his hand up and he goes, stop, keep it. God doesn't want your spare change. And he keeps walking. <laughs> oh, snap's right. <laughs> I had never had a pastor say, keep your money. God doesn't want it. But here I was in this moment and this man who was leading me and I was following told me not to give. Because God didn't want it. After church, I was like, hey, man, explanation, please. And here's what he was not saying. He was not saying God doesn't want you to give. He was saying you didn't think about it. You didn't plan for it. You don't want to do it. And you're not happy about it. So just keep it. You just keep it. Because generosity should be a part of your life that you do based on your decisions and whatever you decide, you get to be happy about it. But God doesn't want your afterthought. He doesn't want your spare change. And so here again in these scriptures, we get to see again what God is like and how grace 
changes the way we view, use, and give money. And God loves a person who gives cheerfully because they want to and they're giving what they decided to give. Not under pressure, not reluctantly. This is why, for those of you who are part of our church, I know a lot of you are guests, but for those of you that's part of our church, this is why we do boxes at the back and, and text to give and stuff like that. We don't take a formal offering. Maybe we will one day. I don't know. But we decided a long time ago not to do that because we don't want your, like, guilt $20 bill. Right? We want you to give what you decide to give under no pressure, not reluctantly, but whatever you decide, we want you to be happy about it. And according to these verses that Paul wrote these Christians, this means that grace giving is never about how much you give. It's about how badly you want to give. Let me say that again. Grace giving is not about how much you give. Grace giving is about how badly you want to give. And so the question is not how much should I give, even though we're going to answer that question next week. But the question is not how much should I give. The question is why don't I want to give more? What is keeping me from wanting and deciding to give more and to be cheerful about it? And when we read stories like this parable of the talents, we see the point they're trying to make. I mean, it's a, this is like a, a kid's story. I mean, it's not hard to see the point that they're trying to make, but we don't feel as if we're really talking about real life. It's, I mean, it's not like it's nice and it's cute and it's helpful, but it has nothing to do with UPS third shift, it has nothing to do with student loans, it has nothing to do with, you know, child payments, it has nothing to do with, you know, utility bills and all that, all, all that stuff. And so we, we have trouble making the connection. But what if it did? What if we were to retell this story in such a way that it felt like your life? What if, for example, the, 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 the men, the servants in the story, they were given bags of silver. And you would say, well, I've never been given a bag of silver. Like, I would like to have a bag of silver. But what if, instead of thinking about a bag of silver, what if you viewed... Every dollar that you have in your bank account, under your mattress, on your EBT card, what if you viewed every dollar that you have as a gift from God that has been entrusted to you? Now, on average, and this is the average, but on average, if a person works a job for 20 years, they will make $1,650,000 in their lifetime. You didn't know it was that much. It don't feel like that much. And don't we all say, man, if I ever was like a millionaire, I'd be so much more generous. But you are, on average, in your lifetime. And I don't know what your number is, but if you did the math, I'm willing to bet that you would get a number much larger than you expect. And it might not be 1.65, but that's one of the things I love about this story, is that God doesn't give everyone the same amount and expect the same result. Do you notice what he said to the guy with five? He gave the guy five. The guy comes back and says, you gave me five, I turned it to ten. The, guy said, the, the, the master says, since you've been faithful in this small amount. But then the guy with two comes to the master and he says, you gave me two and I turned it into four. And he says, well done, since you've been faithful in this small. I thought five was small. Now he's saying two small. God assesses each of us. He looks at each of us. His expectations for each of us 
is based only on what we are responsible for. We're only responsible for what we have been given, and nobody has nothing. You got something. You got a smile. You got a gift of hospitality. You, you got some connections. You, 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 you've got a skill. You've got something. Nobody has nothing. So let's just use this average number. Let's imagine that God has given you, for average, one million six hundred and fifty thousand dollars in your lifetime to manage while he's away so that this in, the entire accumulation of all of your wealth money over your lifetime is placed into a bag and it's handed to you while the master is away and he's given you one million six hundred fifty thousand dollars and he will return at some point and he'll just want to know, like, what'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? And do you know what's happening right now in your heart as I say that? Guilt. Shame. Oh, man, if God asked me what I did with it, what am I going to say? Like, well, God, you know, I, I, bought, I bought some more golf clubs. I, I, you know, I upgraded my car. We'd have, we have really noble reasons and you know, groceries and taking care of my kids. But we also, come on, let's just be honest, we all waste money. You know what I mean? And so now we feel this guilt, we feel this shame. And so now what's happening is, if we're not careful, we will start to feel pressure. And we'll say, okay, fine, you, you win, how much? And then we give reluctantly. That's not grace giving. But just for a moment, imagine that $1,650,000 is put into a bag and it's handed to you. God entrusts it to you, and he wants you to take it and to grow and to flourish. And when we think about our income and possessions in that way, it feels different than just paying our bills or trying to make do. We're forced to ask ourselves, what am I doing with what God has entrusted me with? Because God trusts me. He trusts me. Several years ago, I had a really unique opportunity. I got a call from a guy who doesn't attend our church, and he said, hey, could we meet for lunch? I said, sure. We met for lunch. And he said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. I don't know if you'd be up for it, but I got a crazy idea. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to create, I've set up a bank account under both of our names. And I've put $5,000 in this account. And I'm going to give you the debit card and the checkbook. It's yours. And I want you to take the money that's in this account, and I want you to just use it Anytime you feel like to help anybody that you think needs help. And as the money goes down, I'll just fill it back up. There'll always be $5,000 in that account. Would you be up for that? That's what he said. I was like, let me pray about it. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. God said do it, so I'm going to do it. And, man, I left that lunch that day fired up for God fired up for generosity. I mean, I'm just swiping the debit card. Do you need gas? Let me get you some gas. You grocery single mom, let me get you some groceries. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. Just debit, 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 debit. And I'm just, I mean, I'm like the good Samaritan. I'm like Mother Teresa. I mean, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just giving, you know how easy it is to give away somebody else's money? It's unbelievable. A couple weeks go by, my generosity started getting a little slower and a little slower and a little slower and a little slower. And I get a call. Hey, listen, no big deal, not, not trying to micromanage you, but um, I noticed that, that there hasn't been any transactions lately. Just making sure everything was okay. Is the card working? It's like, oh, yeah, no, no, the card's working. You know what, my bad. You know, I got sick, and then I just got busy, and then I was out of town, and 
I just, my bad, but like I'll, you know, and so after that phone call, I was remotivated, you know, oh man, who, who needs help? We're going to, we helped some with some tuition. We helped, we just, we, I mean, just started doing all this stuff. It was so amazing to have unlimited resources to be generous. A few weeks, months go by. He calls me up. He says, hey, can we go to lunch? And the moment he has to go to lunch, I knew what he was going to ask about. Because I'd, I'd forgotten. I'd slowed down. I didn't forget, forget, but I'd like, I got busy. I got distracted. And we go to lunch, and he says, hey, I'm just curious. Again, I mean, like, I'm not trying to micromanage you, but I noticed, like, it's been several months now, and there hasn't been any transactions. Is everything okay? Is the card working? So, yeah, the card's working. And I had to confess to him. You know, I said, I thought I would be really good at this. I thought that, like, this would, be, this would dominate my day every day. I thought, like, I would just walk around just giving away this money all the time. But, like, I do it first, and then I get distracted. I get busy. I, I started noticing myself get a little bit judgmental. Like, I don't know if I want to help them. I don't know if they would appreciate it. And we ended up stopping. And I think about it all the time because I think all of us overestimate how generous we would be if we had more. Unlimited. If it was somebody else's money, if we won the lottery, hit the jackpot, got the promotion, got an inheritance. We assume that if given the chance and the resources, we would be much more generous than we are now there is, it is true that generosity is logistical, but it's not just logistical. It's a matter of the heart. And the reality is we're more selfish than we realize. We're more distracted than we realize. And what I love about this story that I think most of us get wrong is that when God comes back and he wants an account for the money, when the, when the master comes back and he wants an account for the money, and the guy with five turns it into ten, and the guy with two turns it into four, the master is so happy. He's celebrating the growth. He's celebrating the accomplishment. And I wonder if you think that's true about God. Do you think that God wants your business to grow? Do you think that God wants your career to grow? Do you think that God wants your idea to actually be successful? Do you think that God wants you to have more, that God wants you to flourish? Do you really believe that? And some of you do, and that's one of the reasons why you are successful, because you believe that God wants it for your life. But there's so many of us like me that grew up in religious environments that unintentionally kind of painted this picture for us or this theology for us that the only way to be humble and holy is to be poor. Humble and holy. Got to be poor. And so it, our view of God, our, our, our understanding of God and grace changes the way that we spend and earn and try. And so that brings us back to the last man. He said... I knew you were a hard man. I know you take your money seriously, so here, here's your money back. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I lost the money, I gambled it away. He didn't say, I had an idea, I bought Bitcoin, you know, I bought it, whatever. No. It's, he just said, I did nothing. And the master says something very interesting in that last verse. 
And I like it even more for the NIV. I think the NLT is going to be on the screen. But in the NIV translation, this is what it says. The master says, whoever does not have what they have will be taken from them. Whoever does not have what they have will be taken from them. Guys, if y'all can throw NIV up there, I would love for them to see it. I know I'm throwing you a curveball, but whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And for many, many years, I misunderstood this verse, and I thought what he was saying was the rich get richer, and the poor get taken advantage of, and, you know, this is cruel because people who don't have, they're going to get what, even the little they have will be stolen from them. That's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, it's a contradiction because he says, whoever does not have even what they have. Whoever does not have even what they have. That's a contradiction. I thought they didn't have anything. He says, who does not have? And so what is he saying here? I believe, I believe that God is talking about mentality. He's talking about our view of him and our view of the world. And I believe that he's saying that a person who is afraid and always thinking and saying that they do not have will end up losing what they do have. Because all they can think about and talk about is what they don't have. Does that make sense? That's what he said. He said, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. A person who says, I don't have, I don't have it, I don't have. But he said something right before verse 29 where he said, but those who do have, even more will be given. Those who do have versus those who don't have. What about you? What do you think about more? Do you think about what you do have or do you think about what you don't have? And God seems to be implying here that, that, that people who think they don't have are always falling farther and farther behind. Because I don't have it. I just don't have. But people who believe they do have, it seems as if even more and more and more is given to them. You don't get it yet, so I'm going to say it again because you're not understanding what I'm saying. He's talking about mentality. He's saying that the more you think you don't have, even what you do have, you lose. But those who do have, even more will be given. So how do you look at your life? How do you look at your resources? Do you look at your house and say, I don't have a great house? Or do you look at your house and say, I do have a great house? I do have a great family. I do have a great job. I do have wonderful kids. I do have opportunities. I do. Or do you look at it and say, I just don't have opportunities. I don't have the money that I need. I don't have the home that I need. I don't have the job that I need. The master said, people who say, I don't have even what they do have keeps disappearing. But the person who's able to say, I do have, I do have, even more will be given. Do you know the number one reason people say they can't be more generous? I don't have it. I just don't have it. I mean, I would give it if I had it. I just don't have it. But what if we decided today to change our mentality about money and giving? What if grace compelled 
instead of guilt? What if we gave because we wanted to bring joy to God and have a celebration? Because, you know, there's a difference. There's a big difference between not wanting to disappoint someone and wanting to please someone and celebrate and make someone happy. And what if we decided today that I'm going to give now based on what I have, but this is just the beginning because I'm asking God to give me more so I can give more. I want to earn more so I can give more. But the way that I know I'll give more when I get more is that I'm going to give now what I have now. How does that feel to say that? Does that feel okay to admit that you want more? Are you allowed to say to God, God, I want more? I want more money. I want more resources. I want more square footage. I want more opportunities. Are we allowed to say that? I believe we are. And what did he say? He said, those who have, even more will be given. So what if we begin to look at what we have and say, look at what I have. Nobody has nothing. I've got something. I have something. And based on whatever I have right now, I'm going to give based on what I have. But God, if you'll give me more, I'll give more. I'll give more. Think about this. What if your motivation for getting a raise or a promotion or starting a business was to give more? What if you made that commitment to God today? God, I'm going to stop talking about what I don't have. I'm going to start, stop thinking about what I don't have. And I'm going to give what I do have because you said people who have will be given more. And so, God, I'm committing today. If you'll give me more, I'll give more. I'll give now. But if you give me more, I'll give more. And the more you keep giving, the more I'll keep giving. Because I want you and I to joyfully celebrate together. I don't have to. And I get to decide. And God, I'm making the decision today. I'm going to give now. And the more you give me, the more I'm giving. No pressure, no guilt, no shame, just joy. So in just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to take communion. You do not have to do this. You can let the opportunity pass you by if you feel uncomfortable with this. But for those of us who want to take communion, there'll be stations set up up front. And here's what I want you to do. As you come up today and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice... I want you to think about the fact that God did not send his son Jesus reluctantly or under compulsion. He's not, he's not, he doesn't regret that he did it. That God sent Jesus because he's a giver. And as you take the bread and you dip it and you eat it, I want you to think about the fact that God gave that's what grace is. And he requires nothing of you, but he invites you to be like Jesus and to give because you want to, not because you have to. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you gave us a model of what a life of sacrifice looks like. And so, God, I pray that anyone right now who is feeling shame and guilt on their shoulders or in their mind would, would, would break free from that and recognize that there is no pressure, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is only opportunity and invitation to invite you in to the most personal, dysfunctional part of our lives and to celebrate with you to experience joy with you because we decide we 
want to be generous. We want to give. Grace compels us, God. God, help us to take our eyes and our thoughts off what we don't have and help us to set our eyes and our mind on what we do have. And God, as we are grateful and thankful and as we are generous, I pray that even more will be given. In Jesus' name we pray.